Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining this episode of the Life After Love Gone Wrong podcast. I am very excited about today's guest. I have with me Amy Polacco, who is a divorce coach and founder of Strong Savvy Women, as well as a journalist for various media outlets. And in particular, I asked Amy to join today because if you've heard any of the other seasons or episodes of the podcast, one of the things that I like to educate and talk about is intimate partner violence, things that are not the most fun or comfortable or happy conversations to have, but are certainly extremely important. And Amy and I got to know each other through a mutual friend in common and a women's empowerment organization, but also did a webinar during the COVID pandemic about this exact topic. And then subsequently, those of you who may know of this or who have been following the Catherine Kasanoff story in the news, Amy has been honestly my main source of information on the story. And so I asked her to come and talk to us a bit about what's going on there and also about what she does with the clients that she helps through this divorce process. So welcome, Amy. Thank you for taking the time to be with me today. Thank you, Sandra. You know, I am a big fan of your work. I think you have a lot to say about this topic and I'm thrilled to be here and share what I know, even though this is a truly heartbreaking story. It is. It truly is. And I think the importance of getting her story out, both sides or what the allegations are, certainly Amy's not an attorney. I am not working on the case, so we're not providing you any legal opinions, neither is she, just telling you what went on for poor Catherine. and just relating it to people you may know, people you may be in your life. One of the things I say about this intimate partner violence is that it is not the stereotype that people expect or that is sometimes portrayed on television in the movies of a lower socioeconomic or an uneducated person. This type of violence expands across all socioeconomic types, all levels of education, all religious backgrounds or non-religious backgrounds, it really has become very pervasive in society. And the only way we're going to change the narrative is by talking about it and bringing awareness to it and letting people know that they're not alone and that they can get out of these situations. Amy? Absolutely, Sandra. I think it's a really dangerous assumption that I'm sure we both see when people think, that doesn't happen to me, doesn't happen in my community. It's yeah. your neighbor, your friend, your sister, and many of the women I coach, and I'm sure you represent in your practice, women who never thought they would be in that situation, and it can happen overnight. I think what's really interesting about Catherine's case is her professional background, but I will start by saying I think this story resonated nationally and even internationally because of the circumstances and because of the tragic nature of her death this past May, but if I might just backtrack sure. for a second, I first met her when I was contacted by her and some other moms who had lost custody of their children in the Connecticut, New York area. And so I wrote a story for Ms. Magazine entitled Empty Home for the Holidays. 
And it was about Catherine Kasanoff and how she had lost custody of her three daughters. And also Kobe Jane, another woman who still has not seen her sons for years. And both of these women ended up homeless, had paid all of their savings and then some fighting this legal battle to get custody of their children again. And it was a heartbreaking story at that time. It again was December 2021. And I did follow Catherine's case. She was very vocal online on Facebook about sharing things. At one point, she showed a picture of herself living out of her car. And let me just tell you, to your point, Sandra, Catherine was a brilliant legal mind. She had been an assistant U.S. attorney. She had an Ivy League education. She was special counsel to Governor Kathy Hochul of New York State. So this was not some down and out woman who was desperate and didn't know any better. So can you just start maybe from the beginning about what you just gave us a little taste of who she was, why the story gained such notoriety and is an important example of what is happening, unfortunately, in our system. Exactly. So after I did the initial story, it didn't make too much of a difference in her case. She continued to fight for years after for custody of her children. She did have some wins. She was able to get a custody evaluator thrown off and also an attorney for the children. And it appeared that she had some wins in her case. Now, she could not see her children unless it was supervised visits with her three daughters. She married her husband, Alan Kasanoff, in 2007. They had three children. One was adopted. Catherine was the primary caretaker. She worked, as I said, for the New York State governor, but she worked from home. Things deteriorated in the marriage. In May 2019, two of the girls alleged that Alan had kicked one of them. He denied this. It was reported to the school, and Catherine went to court, obviously. She had custody of the girls at first, but then in March 2020, the court's order granted the father sole legal and physical custody. I should also mention Catherine had breast cancer two times, and I'll get to her last diagnosis before her death. But I think the really important part of this is an MO we see all the time, and I have written about extensively for Ms. But basically, what he did was file an ex parte motion, which I know you are familiar with, this emergency yep. motion. And, and she really did not get a proper hearing. And so that's a larger issue, which I will get back to. But he was given custody, and she was demonized, and she was made out to be someone who was engaging in parental alienation, which is a pseudo-scientific theory that the UN has spoken out against recently because it is weaponized by abusers. Do yes. you want to, I'm sure you want to add something about this. No, absolutely. So that is the modus operandi, the playbook response when somebody is accused of abuse of either a child or intimate partner violence. The playbook is to counter with parental alienation all the time. And actually the gentleman who coined the phrase parental alienation committed suicide, was found to not be a real scientist, 
his research was discredited. And the fact that we still have this conversation baffles me almost daily because it is like you, the word is perfect weaponized. And I just want to interject and say that Alan Kasanoff is also an attorney. He was a practicing partner at a large, well-known firm. So these were both educated people who knew the legal system well and were of, I would say, an upper-class financial lifestyle and, and scale in heading into this process. Also, a very common tactic is educated people generally know how to manipulate the system. They know how to box out certain lawyers or experts. They know they do their homework. They do their research. They find somebody who's going to give them the narrative that they want more often than not. That's an important fact that you have to be aware of or think about when you're helping someone through this process or entering the process yourself. Yes. They lived in Larchmont, which is a town in Westchester County, very affluent town, as you said, and they were both attorneys. As this battle continued, at one point, Catherine was not allowed to get within one mile of her daughter. She was arrested at one point in 2022 and accused of getting too close to her daughter. That was thrown out, but not before someone informed the New York State Governor's Office and she lost her job. So in the middle of the scariest time of COVID, when we were all in our homes, she had been forced out of her family home. She was basically couch surfing and staying with friends as an immunocompromised person who had, had breast cancer. And at the time I did the first story with her, she had spent $600,000 by the time of her death. It's estimated close to a million dollars in this legal battle. And it did seem like she was making headway, like I said. I was getting ready to do a follow-up story on her case when I learned in May, it was Memorial Day weekend, I'll never forget it. She sent an email out to supporters that I was on and she also posted it on her Facebook page saying that she was planning to commit an assisted suicide in Switzerland. And it is confirmed that she did do that. There were many theories that this was a hoax and all these things that have been disproved. I've seen the documentation from the State Department. I have spoken to the executor of her estate who has her ashes. She did do this and what precipitated this was that in May, 2023, she had gotten this custody evaluator, Mark Abrams, thrown off the case, and there were other people who complained about him. And a new evaluator came on, and the judge said, give me a new report. Catherine alleged that the new evaluator just rubber-stamped Mark Abrams' old one that basically said she was an alienator and that she would not facilitate the girls' visits with their father, so the father should have full custody. This news, and I've interviewed Catherine's attorneys, she had several, but the one dealing with the custody, it was devastating. For her to get this news, it was like she was back at square one, and apparently she had another cancer diagnosis, and in her letter, she said, I can't do this fight again, especially with this news. But she blasted our family court system, obviously in Westchester County and New York, but also she recognized and had helped 
other people in this situation nationally and not just women, men as well. Yes. But some of her words still haunt me. She said, it's a world that under the cloak of darkness, it's secretive, these ex parte orders and all of these things. One of the last stories I did, well, I should say back to your point, Sandra, about Alan, there was media coverage. I covered immediately in Ms. The New York Post and some other outlets covered this story and some TikTok influencers shared some videos of Alan and ultimately later of Catherine. But there was such an uproar that so many people contacted Alan's employer, former employer, I should say, that they put him on leave at first. And then eventually, June 11th, they said that he was resigning. And there was a huge outcry. And the battle continues with her estate. One of the last stories I did for Ms. was with one of her attorneys, Harold Burke, who actually spoke to Catherine for four hours the day before she died. He had no idea what she was planning. He could tell she was overseas. He didn't pry. She said she was in a safe place. He had litigated a case years before, 10 years before, of a woman in New York State who was in a similar situation. He took it up on appeal and he won arguing that her rights, her name is Sylvia Lee, her rights to due process were violated because she never had a hearing. And as you said, the MO for a lot of these abusers and their attorneys are temporary emergency orders. But what happens, what I've learned in my reporting and also from many of the women I coach, these temporary orders suddenly become permanent. And then the court is looking at, oh, the best interest of the child and keeping them stable. Oh, now they've been with the dad or it could be the mom for this extended period of time. Let's not shake things up. So it's a whole strategy. Right. It's absolutely a strategy. And compounding that with a global pandemic, courts being shut down, many states experiencing an extreme backlog because of the fact that people are having a difficult time accessing the courts and including employees and the judges themselves, they have to prioritize, right? And so they give you these temporary orders because they are led to believe that there is an immediate issue regarding safety and well-being of a child. And because it has the word temporary in it, it is this idea or belief or temporary band-aid. And then, like Amy just said, because of these extenuating circumstances, temporary ends up being several months. And it is exactly that. The judges are sometimes stuck between a rock and a hard place of saying, now do we jostle children around back to the other parent or do we just let this be? The kids seem stable. Let's have the full evaluation done. In the meantime, the alienation is happening in the other direction and you are leading what are supposed to be unbiased third-party experts to have a bias about the circumstances that they are in fact tasked with evaluating. So it further abuses the victim intentionally, unintentionally. That's a question that people have debated for years and I'm sure will continue to debate. And I don't know that the answer is the same for everyone. And I don't mean to say this or to make this reference lightly, but if you've gone to watch the Barbie movie, it is really, in my opinion, such a poignant real life example of what women particularly face in the world at large 
But now tie that into stories like Catherine's and some of these other women that have gone through very similar situations. When I work with these clients, I am very clear to tell them that this could get worse, a lot worse before it gets better. And people look at me like wide-eyed and shockingly to say, this is already really bad. What do you mean by worse? And again, you could be amazed by some of the things that people will allege. And it does go both ways. I think that the opposite version of this is the standard playbook where a mother will accuse a father of sexually abusing a child and putting a child and that parent through some very difficult evaluations and telling people that this is what happened, even though there's not been a finding of it and involving state agencies, child protective services, and things like that into their home life, who, again, a large bureaucracy, understaffed, government employees, not always necessarily doing the same job as a private professional would do. There's a lot of downside to that too, but these are the things that are happening in our society. And unless we, as taxpaying citizens, really do a grassroots effort through our congressmen and legislators and state playmakers to change certain laws. My big message when I do these awareness or conversations have come up is about really getting our judges nationally the training that they need to see this and to put them in place. I've practiced nearly 20 years and I know that I have never met a judge who was excited to have to deal with a case like Catherine's or others similarly situated. It is really difficult to have two people before you who you've never met and have such outlandish, horrendous allegations presented to you and have to make decisions that are forever going to impact people's lives and their families and their employment and all of this. I do believe that judges don't come in with the idea that they're going to make things more difficult. I think that they come to this profession and take on this public service with the intention of helping. But again, I think not having significant education and repeated education about these tools and tactics and what abusers do and really understanding narcissism, it's not just a buzzword and there is scientific evidence. And I think that Hollywood is doing a better job at trying to educate people than our our nation's lawmakers and legislators. Look at shows like The Maid. We talked about that when we did that summit. Such a powerful, moving docu-series or series, I don't think it was a docu-series, about a woman who was exactly in this position and like all that she went through. So much so that I think, Amy, you and I spoke about this. We had clients individually who could not finish the series because it was so close to home. It was so exactly what they had experienced. To wrap things up, I do want Amy to give us some tips about how you can help someone or you yourself can avoid ending up in a situation like Catherine and the many others who have come before her and who unfortunately will still probably come after her and the red flags that you should be looking for when you're entering into a, a relationship and making those big life choices. Right, I am on a mission to do that as Sandra, as yes. you are too. And the last thing I want to say about Catherine before we close that chapter here is that I do think 
that she wanted to shine a light on this issue and help others beyond herself. And that's why she left a Dropbox full of things and she was looking beyond and I found out she was helping so many other protective moms along the way. So my hope is that in this tragedy, something good will come out of it. Part of my personal healing after surviving domestic abuse has been getting back to the journalism I did full time years ago as I recently wrote a story for Huffington Post, which I encourage everybody to look up. It was titled, I'm a divorce coach, I'm begging you watch out for these red flags before you get married because to your point sandra when we say to our clients look this could get worse their head is spinning because they've never been part of this world and none of us ever wanted those of us who are divorced wanted to be part of this exclusive club no absolutely <laughs> but, but we are and the point of my article what i often say is be careful who you marry because it could ruin your life not that you can't rebound i know you help your clients rebound i'm committed to that too but it's a long road and it can be financially emotionally psychologically physically devastating right um it's, it's there's no conclusive proof of course i'm not suggesting this but it is no surprise to me that catherine kastanoff's cancer may have returned considering the stress she was living under so many of my clients have autoimmune issues and Anyway, the things to look out for before you get married, this is all coercive control. Let's call it what it is. And narcissism falls under that. But these are all controlling partners. And we recently had that Jonah Hill texting story. He was trying to assert control, right, over what she was wearing, her career, her ability to earn an income. When right. someone does that, and I know you feel passionately about this too, Sandra, is that all women need to have their own thing, their own income, their own source of money. I advocate if you decide to stay home, if you know that in advance, get a prenup, get a postnup, something that protects you, that gives you a salary, that guarantees your income because you are working too. So many women end up completely disempowered. Yes. And without the financial means, they get stuck like a caged animal. And then these legal battles can ensue and they're just drowning, right? So you want to protect that from the get-go and even in the courtship, lovey-dovey period. You want to look for gaslighting, love bombing. These manipulators are really good at what they do. If they show any controlling behavior, wanting to control your devices, you know, what you do, who you talk to, isolating you from family. A lot of times, and look, I look back and there were pink flags that I didn't know to recognize, right? Now yep. I'm smarter. Yes. <laughs> if you feel something in your gut that something isn't right, let me tell you, later that could come back to bite you. So, you know, if someone's cheating, you find out they're lying even about a little thing. That can- Especially really I think about a little thing. Yeah, yeah uh, you're you right. Know, my mom used to say, if they lie about something little, imagine what they do about the big things. And this is really a grooming process. What happens in these relationships is that somebody is grooming. So it's not going to be so in your face at first. But like Amy just referred to, you can look up some of these words, love bombing. And then it goes to, oh, you're going to wear that tonight? You know, when you're going out someplace and, oh, maybe you should wear this. Oh, your friend is really annoying. Do we have to spend time with them? And then they're constantly in your ear. And then 
you're starting to second guess relationships that you've had for 20 plus years and even your family dynamics and it's all of a sudden nothing is good when this person enters your world and it's hard to recognize that oftentimes, unfortunately, these relationship behaviors or patterns are learned, right? You may have grown up in a home where some of this happened, but again, generationally or culturally, it was accepted. If you want to break the pattern, you have to have some self-awareness of what has happened in your childhood and then what is happening around you. Keep that in mind that this is not something, right, Amy, that's going to happen day one. This is something that happens in a process. Yeah, it's insidious. And that's why there's more recognition for coercive control and psychological abuse. And like you said, I think Hollywood is doing a better job. I wrote right. a story about Made for Ms. back when it came out and also Alice Starling, that, yes. that movie that came out. And Anna Kendrick said, I don't want any violent fights. And she had survived a psychologically abusive relationship. She wanted to show how bad it could be without him ever putting a bruise on her body. So I think yeah. there is more and more happening. And also, I love blasting that myth that we talked about at the beginning that, oh, these manipulative types and predators only go after low-hanging fruit. No. They go after bright, intelligent women. I have many attorneys who are clients who are married to narcissists, and they hitch onto your star. You look good on their arm, but then they, right. everything they loved about you, they will break it down. It's almost like a challenge. And some of these women were high earning, high achieving, but we're told, oh no, honey, I make enough money. You should stay home. I want you to stay home. Yes. Yeah. Be careful when someone says that to you. Yeah. It's true. Attorneys, C-level executives, doctors. I mean, it, it, there is a whole gamut of people Again, this is not something that attaches to any education level, religious background, socioeconomic level. This really can happen to anyone. And so just understanding what it is, not putting our heads in the sand, educating ourselves, our friends, our sisters, our brothers, our children, when they're going out, it's a different world and we need to face that head on because I think... Like Amy said, the devastation is so multi-layered and yes, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, but it is a long road and something that hopefully can be avoided by just giving yourself a little bit of knowledge and power on things. And so Amy's advice, spot on, keeping, as my mom used to tell me, that separate savings account or that separate account with your money in it, that you have access to things, not letting your credit go down. Make sure that you are keeping the things that are important to you still in your life. And if it's a choice that you want to leave your employment during your marriage, nobody is saying not to do that, but just doing it smartly and making sure that should things not work out, that you have access to information about your finances and to your finances, because this is exactly part of the big plan in these types of coercive control environments. Exactly. They are planning. And if you are not, you will regret it later. So the shoe money could turn into your escape money. And right. I just want to say, I work with clients who are contemplating divorce. A lot of them in that situation, Sandra, where, you know, they don't even know where the money is. They don't have yes. access to money. They 
have to either meet me in a parking lot and pay me or send me a money order so it's not traced anywhere to work with me, but it's getting their ducks in a row. And then I also coach women who are going through the process. And then after as well, I have some I'm helping start businesses because these relationships break you down bit by bit. And I'm all about, no matter what stage it is, taking your power back and helping women rediscover who they were before this right. happened. There's no shame. There's no victim blaming. Many of us have been through this, right? Yes. Before, I was an investigative reporter. I used to chase somebody down with a microphone. I never thought I would be duped. Yes, absolutely. So I recommend and almost sometimes insist if I'm going to work with a client in this situation that they have a therapist. Therapy is different than what Amy does. Therapy is a way to talk about how you ended up here and how you can change behaviors to move forward. Amy is somebody with a more of a practical approach about, okay, this is what's happening in this moment. Here are things that you can take control of. Here's what we can do for your future more proactive types of advice and strategies and things like that. A lot of times people will say to me, I'm in therapy, what's the difference? And I think that understanding that difference is important because therapists are not there to really tell you what you should do next or to give you that type of advice. They're here to listen and to have you understand and think about and take a deeper look into kind of where you came from, how you got here, and what you're going to do to go forward. It's a bit, it's very different than the types of things that Amy does. Like she just said, helping somebody who's through the process, take their power back, understand that they could start a business, figure out what their plan needs to be and help them execute that. That's not something you're, you're going to find in therapy. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of therapy as well. Yes. But sometimes it's strategic. It's not just my own personal experience, but all the knowledge I have from I run a support group, as you said, Strong Savvy Women, and the reporting I've done and the clients. I have several clients who are post-divorce, but with these high-conflict spouses and ex-spouses, it does not end. Post-separation yes. abuse is real, so I help them with boundaries, protecting their peace, because that need for control does not end. Very true. And oftentimes in these post-divorce litigations, it, it is exactly that. It's just a continuation of the abuse that was going on during the marriage and during the divorce process. And again, back to the education of our system. So that is not tolerated. And that is not a venue where an abuser can continue to do that to a victim is super important. So we got to get going because we're running out of time. We, I know, could talk about this for hours and hours because it's really important to us. But Amy, let us know how we could find you. Yeah, on Instagram, I'm at Freedom Warrior Tribe. My website is freedomwarrior.info. I do free 15-minute coaching consultations with people. I've had hundreds and hundreds of people and men to reach out to me, especially after some of this coverage. If you want to email me for a possible story, I'd ask you to do that instead of booking a coaching session and send it to Amy Polacco, A-M-Y-P-O-L-A-C-K-O at gmail.com. And I'd love to hear from you. Thank you, Sandra, for continuing to shine a light on this. No, thank you. Thanks for joining me today. This was great. You know where you can reach me, sfava at foxrothschild.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Divorce NJ Law or now it's X, I should say. Oh, exactly. <laughs> and also Instagram, 
at AskSandraFava.com. <laughs>